The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Would you turn your apps on or open your Bibles to Galatians 5? We continue our study of one by talking about the one freedom we have in Christ. Bev and I want to express our appreciation to you for praying for us this past week. Many of you know that uh, our great niece, Bev has a niece that's four years younger than her, and uh, our great niece, age 16, looks like took her life a week ago, and uh, we were in Baton Rouge all this week to minister to our family, care for them, and love on them uh, in the midst of that, a loving family, a Christ-following family, so really a confusing time in our family, but we ask for you to continue to pray for us. Our Father's good. We know he's good, and we trust him every day. Also, uh, the Troy, the, the two young people killed in an accident in Troy, uh, both of those young people had ties to TBC, uh, one an aunt and one a grandmother. So uh, would you pray for those families? And then finally, uh, next week, Ray Vanderloin, he's going to finish his weekend by preaching on Sunday morning. So I won't have the opportunity to speak the Sunday before the election. But here's what I want to say, and I, I wrote these down in my notes because I want to say it correctly. Our nation's in the throes of one of the most contentious, bitter elections in our history. And we know that as followers of Christ, we have dual citizenships. We have a citizenship in heaven, and we have a citizenship on earth. And we are privileged in our nation to elect our officials. I I would encourage you to do two things in the next week leading up to the election. If you're not already educated, get educated on the candidates and their platforms, nationally as well as locally. Secondly, uh, would you exercise the great privilege we have in our nation to vote? Do you make sure that you exercise the great privilege that we have? Uh, we are going to vote absentee because we're actually headed to the Ukraine uh, prior, just prior to the election, and so we will do that tomorrow. But here's what I do want to conclude by saying. Regardless of the outcome of the election, Jesus is king. He is king. He will not relinquish his throne. He will reign from it on high. He will return one day, and when he returns, he will set all things right. And so my prayer, my prayer is that in the midst of all the rhetoric that goes back and forth, we'll recognize that we live as citizens, not only of this world, but another world. And we do have a king that we faithfully serve, and that's King Jesus. This morning, we're going to talk about that. The one who died for us is the one who we submit ourselves to. So my encouragement to get educated if you're not educated, to be wise in what you do, and to exercise the great privilege we have as a nation and vote in the next week. Amen? So I'm going to pray for our family. I'm going to pray for other families that are in pain right now and uh, for God to give us the grace to make it through the day and then also for our nation. Let's pray. Father, in the midst uh, midst of pain, you're the comforter. In the midst of pain, you bring those beside us to comfort us, and we're so grateful for all those things. God, we thank you that uh, one day all things will be set right by you. There'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more weeping, no more death. And we look forward to that day. And Father, as a nation, we recognize we have strayed a long way from you. We've turned our backs on you in many ways. We've forsaken the ways that we should follow and we seek other ways. And I pray, God, that first and foremost, we'll humble ourselves and call upon your name. And then, Father, you would do great things. Father, I pray for our nation in the next week. I pray specifically for the body of Christ, those of us who name Jesus, Lord, that we would be those who love well. In the midst of whatever sides we take, whatever we believe, that in the midst of that we'll not forget that the greatest command is to love you and love one another. We pray that in the name of Christ. Amen.
January 1st, 1863. If you are a student of history, maybe you know why that day was significant. A few of you can tell us what it was like because you look like you were probably alive back then. No, just kidding. (laughs) January 1, 1863. If you're a student of history, it was a great day in our nation. It was a day that Abraham Lincoln brought about the Emancipation Proclamation. The Emancipation Proclamation proclaimed that every slave in our country was free. Three to four million slaves in America were proclaimed to be freed on that day. But it took two more years for us to ratify that as an amendment in our Constitution. It was in 1865, two years later, that the 13th Amendment was ratified by Congress, and it became part of our Constitution, part of the freedoms we enjoy, and it forever abolished slavery in our land. An interesting thing happened. From 1863 to 1865, President Lincoln had been assassinated, so his legacy would live on through his desires, but he would not be there to see that day. But in 1865, when Congress ratified the 13th Amendment, there were great shouts from Capitol Hill, and it echoed through the valleys of Virginia and through the backwoods of Carolina and through the plantations of Georgia and Alabama and Mississippi and Louisiana. The echo was that you're free, you're free, you're free indeed, but there was a problem, a problem that was not anticipated by many upon that day. Many of those who were slaves remained under their masters. Many of those who were set free stayed on the plantations. Many of those who were set free still lived as slaves. Even though they had experienced freedom, even though they had been emancipated, they still chose slavery over their freedom. There were many reasons. There were economic reasons primarily. There were reasons uh, other than that, but they chose to remain as slaves, functioning as slaves. One Alabama slave phrased it this way. He said, said, uh, I don't know nothing about Abraham Lincoln except that he set us free. And I don't know nothing about that, neither. We've been set free, but I really don't know what that means. How tragic. A war had been fought, a president had been assassinated, an amendment had been added to our Constitution and signed into law. Once enslaved, men, women, and children were now totally and legally emancipated, but they chose to keep serving the same master. That's what Galatians 5 is about. Spiritually, we've been set free. Spiritually, we've been set free, but in spite of being freed by the greatest emancipator, that is Jesus Christ, in spite of giving us freedom from sin, in spite of giving us great freedom, some of us choose to remain in slavery. In fact, in verse 1, Paul's going to say, stand firm, don't go back that way. Stand firm, don't regress to where you once were. Stand firm, don't take upon yourselves once again the yoke of slavery. Paul's going to say, if you have been set free, if you're totally free, why would you go back to serving the old master? Why would you put the shackles on? Why would you put the uh, chains back on? When you have been set free, you're free indeed, so live like a free man. Don't go back to where you were. That's the message of Galatians 5. Now you can take your nap and be done with it. (laughs) At this point in time, I really considered uh, playing that scene from Mel Gibson's Braveheart when he screamed out, freedom! You remember that? Just a great scene in a great movie. But I didn't want to confuse what was in that movie, nationalistic and patriotic freedom with spiritual freedom. As great as national freedom is and patriotic freedom that we possess, and we're grateful for that, many people have paid the ultimate price so we can worship in this building today, so that we can vote in an election another week. We, We have been freed as a nation, and we're grateful for that. Our brothers and sisters that we're going to speak to in the Ukraine in a few weeks, they didn't have that freedom for much of their lives. We have been set free as a nation. But a greater freedom is a freedom we have in Jesus. 
You can live under totalitarian rule. You can live under communism. You can live other places and not experience that freedom. We have the greatest freedom, and we're going to look at that in just a couple of minutes. Not to diminish the freedom we have as a nation or those who bought that freedom for us, but the greatest freedom we have is a freedom as found in Jesus Christ. So why do we remain slaves? Why do we put ourselves under the yoke of slavery? Why would we do that? Well, in Galatians 5, Paul talks about freedom. In chapter 5, verse 1, it says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. And then in Galatians chapter 5, if we go to verse 13, it says, you are called to freedom, brothers. So we see in these verses that, that, that this is going to be a section about freedom. We were laughing in staff this past week. He said, the first four chapters of Galatians is like playing the same record over and over and, and repeating the same verses over and over. Because the message of Galatians 1 through 4 is that the gospel message, the gospel itself, is a gospel of grace given to us, and our response is a response of faith. It's by faith alone. Sola fide, one of the tenets of the Great Reformation. Sola fide, by faith alone in Christ. It's not faith plus anything. They were saying it's faith, the Judaizers coming in, these false teachers coming in and said, you have to have faith, but you also have to add to it. You have to have faith, but you have to add keeping the law. You have faith, you have to add circumcision. You have faith, you have to add to it. And Paul says that is absolutely not the gospel. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 5, he says that is a different gospel. It's not the true gospel. And now he says, okay, he makes a transition to the book. He's going to remind us of this great freedom we have. And he says, don't go back. Why would you go back? Why would you keep living in slavery if you've been emancipated? Why would you go back to bondage if you've been set free? Why would you put shackles on? Why would you put chains on if you've been set free? And that's the message of Galatians chapter 5. So Paul does, he gives, he gives us some warnings. Actually, he gives us three cautions in the first 15 verses. The first 15 verses, he gives us three warnings. First of all, he says, beware of performance-based religion. Beware of performance-based religion. He's saying, I, I want to warn you, now that you understand what the gospel is, don't revert and go back to performance-based religion. Don't think that you have to do something, add something to the gospel, because that is not the true message of what Jesus has done. If you look at verse 1, it says it was for freedom that Christ set us free. So when you read that, you need to stop for a second and you need to ask two questions. You need to ask, what did he set us free from and what did he set us free to do? Do you have those questions? If you didn't, I'm going to answer them anyway, so we're going to roll together. How's that? Okay. So it says, for freedom, you are set free. What were we set free from? Well, in the tenor of scriptures we know from studying Galatians as well as the rest of the New Testament, the first thing that we have been set free from is we have been set free from what? Everybody learned this in, you know, kindergarten, Sunday school class. You have been set free from what? Sin. You've been set free from sin. The first piece to the puzzle of understanding what we've been set free from is we have been set free from, some, uh, from sin. In fact, in the book of Romans, Paul is also writing, and in chapter 6, verse 18, it says, having been set free from sin, we've been set free from sin. By the way, we've been set free from sin so we can become slaves, but slaves to righteousness that is slaves to Christ. So our freedom, the first thing we've been set free from, when he says in Galatians 5.1, for freedom you've been set free, the first thing you're set free from is sin. The grace of God comes over us 
and we're set free from sin. We no longer have to live in bondage. We no longer have to live sinful lives. In fact, Paul says in Romans, reckon yourselves, it's an accounting term, reckon yourselves dead to sin. We now have the Spirit of God living through us, and we can live a life of righteousness, a life of hope. That's what he says in verse 5 of Galatians. We, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. We now can live this life set free from sin. Doesn't mean we're going to live sinless lives, but we can be set free from the power of sin. Secondly, we're also set free from empty religion. We're set free from empty religion. We're set free from sin. We're set free from empty religion. Empty religion is when we seek to somehow do things to earn the approval of God. I've heard many people, and I've said it sometimes, you know, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, and God will love me. Or maybe he'll love me more. If I, if I, if I have a quiet time, my days are going to go better. That's just superstition is all that is. See, the love of God is not based upon our religion. The love of God is based upon his righteousness. That song we just sang, I need you. My one defense, my what? What's it say? My one defense, my righteousness. The word righteousness, a theological term, means they have right standing before God. Basically, God's saying, you're okay. You're okay in me. That's the concept. And so when we see that, there's nothing we can do, nothing we can add to. In fact, when we add to, we diminish the truth of the gospel. That's what Paul says in verse 2. It says, behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. He says when we add anything to the grace of God, basically we nullify and diminish the work of Christ and the gospel message itself. And so it's a message of grace. It's a message of God's amazing grace extended to us and given to us. And so we are set free from two things, from sin and from empty religion. We don't have to work. We don't have to do things. We don't have to seek the approval of God. He's adopted into your family. He loves you and he's, he, he cares for you and he'll never stop doing that no matter what. So he says at the end of verse one, therefore stand firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. He says, don't revert back to the way you were. Don't go back there. He says, stand firm. It's a military term. It says, don't be subject again to, to this yoke of slavery. Stand firm, resist, stand against. Yoke of slavery is an interesting term. The word yoke was used throughout the, uh, the, the scriptures and as it's used in the New Testament. A yoke is, you, we know what a yoke is. It's placed on oxen so that they, they can pull together as a team, but it was also heavy. You don't see people walking around with yokes like this, do you? Yeah, we do, according to the scriptures. The yoke that's spoken of in the scriptures is the yoke of legalism, the yoke of uh, works-based righteousness. It's, it's the yoke of having to do things. It's the yoke of adding to the gospel. Jesus himself talked about this yoke in Matthew. In Matthew, he says this. He says, uh, we'll go to the next slide. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my what? Read it with me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest in your souls for my what? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is saying the Pharisees want to put all these things on top of you. Jewish legalism wants to put all these things on top of you. Even in Galatians, they want to add to the gospel. I'm telling you, comparatively, my yoke is easy and my burden is light because he carries it for us. That's grace. That's grace. He says, you don't have to do stuff because I did it for you. You don't have to earn my approval because I'm giving you my approval. 
What he's saying is, for the one that knows Christ as Savior, don't go back and add anything to what truth is. This was a battle in the first century. There was a battle in the church in the first century. There were those who were saying, well, you've got to have faith in Christ plus. Faith in Christ plus. So they had a church council. So when all the church fathers and all the church leaders came together in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 15, it says this. It talks about the yoke again. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through keeping the law. But we believe we are saved by joining the church. We believe we are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the same way they are. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, don't go back to what once was. Don't put this yoke, this burden on them because Christ is enough. Christ has paid the price. Don't diminish Jesus in any way. This is a salvation you can't buy, you can't earn, you can't add to. It's God's amazing grace. He forgave you. He made you righteous. He put you in right standing. He's given you the spirit of God, verse 5. And not only that, he, he, he provides for you an eternal home. He does amazing things for you. And so he says, he says, if you receive circumcision, Christ is nothing. If I, if I testify, verse 3, to every man who receives circumcision, you're under the obligation to keep the whole law. You want to keep the law? You want to get circumcised and keep the law? Then you've got to keep every part of the law. Then look at verse 6. In Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is nothing. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised or uncircumcised. Your heart is what matters. As we were driving back and forth to Baton Rouge this past week, I listened to Matt Chandler. How many of you know Matt Chandler? I listened to Matt Chandler, pastor of the Village Church in Flower Mine. Great speaker. I love listening to young pastors because he's got a passion to teach God's word. And I need to improve, and so I listen to guys like that. And Chandler looks at his audience. He's gone through Galatians 5. And he says, I need to stop right here. He says, if you're a first-time visitor to the Village Church, and I'll say if you're a first-time visitor to TBC, we're talking about circumcision in a later We're talking about castration in this passage. We're not a bunch of weirdos in some kind of cult around here. Okay? We, we don't talk about these things every Sunday, but the reason we're talking about it is because what circumcision is a sign of the covenant, the Jews showed that they would place themselves under the covenant. And therefore, they're saying, hey, we want to stay under what was there. And so uh, it was really funny to listen to Chandler and his church saying, you know, we're not a bunch of weirdos here talking about circumcision every week. But imagine if you've never been to church before and you walk in and some guy up front's talking about that the whole Sunday. That is kind of weird. Unless you understand what the scriptures are teaching. And so he's saying, you have been adopted, you've been chosen, you've been loved, and you've been freed. That's what we've seen in Galatians so far. All those things. So let me stop and ask you a question. So what? Really, so what? So you understand you've been free. So what? Here's what I think is an amazing thing. Because when we understand the freedom we have in Christ, we no longer do things out of duty. We do them out of delight. When you understand the grace that's been given to you, you understand what Christ has done for you. When you understand the freedom you have, 
You don't say, I've got to have a quiet time. I've got to walk in obedience. I've got to live in purity. I've got to put money in a box in the hallway. I've got to, i got to, i got to. Instead, what you do is you delight in that because of what Christ has done for you and the grace he's extended to you. Therefore, you worship him freely. Therefore, you give to him generously. Therefore, you forgive others. Therefore, you walk in grace. Therefore, you extend kindness to others. Therefore, you, you forgive. Therefore, you worship. Therefore, you, you fill it out. You do it out of delight and not out of duty. It's a delightful thing to do. My bride down here has put up with me for 40 years. We were married 40 years on September 4th, just earlier, uh, later this month. So you need to be clapping. You need to be clapping for her, not for me. I'm hard. I'm telling you, I'm not an easy guy to live with. I mean, I've got so many idiosyncrasies. We don't have time to list them all. But you know, she's loved me well, and because she's loved me well, I love to love her back. And so, you know, there's simple things I love to do for her. One one of my goals in life is for her never have to put gas in her car. I hope you didn't run out of gas today, by the way. (laughs) We're driving back from Baton Rouge. She said, do you know my light came on? And I said, she doesn't even know what that looks like. The light came on since she... (laughs) So I've even failed in my own illustration. I want to keep that car clean for her. She doesn't know where a car wash is in Temple, Texas. And so you say, man, you're just spoiling her. I am, and I want to do that. Yeah, I, I used to go by Starbucks uh, about three mornings a week, stick on her nightstand so when she woke up, I get up early, she gets up late. Uh, those at 8.15 and 9.30 have never met Bev. They think she's a figment of my world. Well, somebody asked her once to, if she went to sunrise service on Easter. She bust out laughing and said, if God wanted to see sunrise, he made it later in the day. That was her statement. I get some amens out there, yeah. But why do I do those things? And, you know, she does stuff for me. Why does she do that stuff? If I told you the reason I do that is because she's got a temper. If you really knew Bev DeSalvo, she's got a temper. And if you know Bev, she doesn't have a temper at all. If I told you, if I didn't do those things, if I didn't take care of her, she would be a hot mess and she would be jacked up and she'd be all over me in a bad way. So I do those things to placate her. Or, you know, I really like compliments. I like to hear what a great guy I am. So I, I do those things so she'll compliment me. Or the reason I put that Starbucks in her nightstand for all those years? I hope there's a romantic payoff at the end of the day. <laughs> that was a case I'd get it every day, not just some days. Okay. You think you got a sick pastor. I may have just lost my job. But... <laughs> What's the point? I don't know. I've lost the point. I'm thinking Starbucks every day. I'm going broke now. What am I getting into? Here's the point of all that. The point of all that is this. What did you do to me? Why do you do that? Why do we do that? Not because of duty, but delight. Why do you serve the Savior? I hope it's not out of duty, but delight. I hope you, you honor the Savior and you give generously and you serve faithfully out of delight, recognizing what he has done, recognizing what he's given you, recognizing who he is. And therefore, you're not involved in performance-based religion, but you're worshiping the one who's given you everything. And Paul says, beware of performance-based religion. Secondly, he says, beware of these false teachers who are teaching these things. Beware of these false teachers. He, he says, you need to watch out. They're, they're there. They're coming. They're in the body. 
He, he had warned the, the uh, um, elders at Ephesus the same thing on the seashore. He said that when I leave, there are false teachers going to come from your own midst. They are sheep or they are wolves in sheep's clothing. He, he said, beware of false teachers. They do three things in verses seven and eight. They complicate the gospel. Beware of false teachers. They complicate the gospel. You are running well. Who, he's talking about these false teachers, who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who were these people? They hindered you from continuing the way you were going, the way of grace. This persuasion did not come from him who called you. This is not something God gave you, something these, these, these teachers gave you. They complicated the gospel. Secondly, not only do they complicate the gospel, but they contaminate the church. A little leaven, leaven's a whole lump of dough. When you have false teachers in the body, it, ladies, if you put a little leaven in a lump of dough, it, is some of that dough unleavened and some leaven? No, it's all leaven, isn't it? He, he, he says he, he, these false teachers, not only do they complicate the gospel, they contaminate the church. And not only do they, they, they uh, contaminate the church and complicate the gospel, they also compromise the truth. In verse 12, it says, would those who are troubling you even mutilate themselves? It says in the New American Standard, the word is castrate themselves. Paul's saying if circumcision matters, go all the way. Just go all the way. That's what he's saying. I'm trying to put that very nicely. Okay. He's saying if circumcision really matters, you see where Paul's getting that from, there were pagan priests and pagan gods in the surrounding cultures. And oftentimes pagan priests would castrate themselves to show that they have only one true love, that's the God that they're following. And Paul says if circumcision really matters, then just take it all off. That's what he's saying. He's saying, look how nonsensical your argument is. It's an issue not of circumcision or uncircumcision. It's an issue of coming by faith. It's an issue of the heart. That's what he's saying there. He's saying, beware of false teachers. I wrote my notes. It's a good thing we don't have false teachers in our world today. Wow. False teachers in the church. Let me just give you two topics topic of sexuality. They're false teachers purveying falsehoods from pulpits across America, pulpits across our world on the topic of sexuality. The scriptures are clear as to what's right and what's wrong. God himself established that in Genesis, for this cause a man shall leave his mother and father, cleave to his wife, and the two become one. Leave his mother and father, cleave to his what? Wife. God has established that uh, there's marriage between a man and a woman, period. That's it. That's it. And so the word of God is clear. He speaks about homosexuality. The scriptures are clear about that. Now, if you are one struggling with those issues, we would love to talk to you about Jesus and what he can do in your life. But here's the reality in our world. There are those who stand in pulpits across our land who say these things are okay. It's okay. Woman wants to marry a woman. Man wants to marry a man. So be it. That's an abomination to the word of God. Second topic, abortion. Let's talk about abortion. There are those who stand in pulpits today across our nation who say it's a woman's choice. It's all right if she wants to be aborted. And I'll tell you that the scriptures are very clear that that is a life within the womb and we are to protect that life within the womb. And if you're one of our dear sisters here today and you're pregnant and don't want to be pregnant and you're considering abortion, I pray, I pray that you'll come before God, recognize that's not the best solution, and we'll be glad to work. Email me this week. We have families in this church sitting here right now who will gladly foster and adopt your son or daughter. They'll gladly do that. We want to come alongside you and love you and minister to you and care for you if you are struggling with any of these issues. But today in America, there are people standing in pulpits, just like I stand here at TBC, and they'll say, this is okay, or they will not take a stand on these issues when the word of God is very clear.
And sometimes we have to stand against the mores of a culture to stand on truth and what's right. And we will do that as long as we open the word of God here. And so pray that we will be those who do not compromise the truth because false teachers complicate the gospel, contaminate the church, and compromise the truth. Now, the truth that's most, I mean, here's a great example. I hopped online. Uh, This was published last year. It was published, uh, let me read it to you. This was an ad in the Los Angeles Times a year ago. Come and meet the most important spiritual figure in the world today. She will awaken inside of you the force that will change your life and change your world. This awakening explains and integrates all the great religions. It grants to you inner peace, health, and joy. It's the last evolutionary step promised by many traditions that stretch back to the beginnings of human awareness. Come and meet Guru Sri Mataji Devi. That was an ad placed in the Los Angeles Times by the First United Methodist Church of Hollywood, California. Aren't you glad there weren't false teachers in our day and age? You want to find true peace? You want to find true happiness? Come listen to our guru who can tell you all about inner peace, inner happiness, not found in Jesus, but found in yourself. But John Piper does an excellent job of saying, you know, the greatest struggle is not the struggle of atheism. The greatest danger to church is not the dangers that have been from atheism, paganism, religions, or cults that openly deny the scripture, but rather supposedly Christian movements that accept so much biblical truth that their unscriptural doctrines seem relatively insignificant and harmless. Basically what he's saying is there are groups that claim to be Christian groups and on top of truth, they put error. They mix error with truth. I, I, I encourage you to go and read the Doctrine of Mormonism this week. Doctrine of Mormonism diminishes who Jesus is. Jesus, if you're a Mormon, Jesus to you is a created being. He is not one with the Father. He's not equal to the Father, but he's one who is created. And salvation is a system of works. Go and read the Doctrine of Jehovah's Witnesses today. It's a system of works. It's a system of diminishing who Jesus was. He was one who was created. And so we look at those things. We recognize these are Christian religions. They deem themselves as Christian religions. But if you go back and read their doctrine, look at their doctrine, you'll see that they do have some truth, but they smatter that tr- they smear error all within that truth. Piper goes on and says this. He says, a single drop of poison, a large container makes all the water lethal. A little leaven makes the bread leaven. A single false idea that in any way undercuts God's grace poisons the whole system of belief. So when we look at this, we recognize that we need to beware of performance-based religion. We need to beware of false teachings. And finally, we need to beware of misusing our liberty. We need to beware of misusing our freedom. Here's what a lot of people think. So I've been set free. I can do what I want. Do what I want. If God has accepted me and my salvation is eternally secure and I can't fall away, by the way, I, I skipped, I accidentally skipped verse four. It says, you've been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. So you say, aha, there it is. I can lose my salvation. That's not what that's saying. That's not what that's saying. What we read there, what we see there, he's saying, if you're trying to get your salvation by intermingling grace and law, you're not going to be justified. There's no place in the scripture that talks about being unjustified. It doesn't occur. You can't lose the salvation that's been given to you. So Paul says, beware of misusing your liberty. Look at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brother. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Verse 15, if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by 
one another. See, there are those who say one end of the spectrum is legalism. It is I've got to do all these things. The other is license. I don't have to do anything. I'm free to do anything I want to do. If I'm secure and I'm forgiven, I can do what I want to do. Hey, if I want to get divorced for no biblical reason, God's going to forgive me. I want to look a little porn tonight, God's going to forgive me. I, I, I want to continue into my addiction, God's going to forgive me. I, I want to, you fill in the blank and you say, God's going to forgive me. You don't understand the grace of God anyway. You know, we, as I said, we went back and uh, we're in Baton Rouge this week. And one of the things we did, we had our adult kids with us. Uh, that, that was an enjoyable part of our week. They drove back and forth with us, uh, Sarah and Daniel. And so we went and uh, we drove through the LSU campus. I put oldies on. I began to get the hair out of my eyes. I started doing that, listening to the music. <laughs> Brought us back to the days when we were on campus back in the 70s. And we drove by the BSU, the Baptist Student Union. Now it's called the BSM, Baptist Student Ministries. And I told Sarah and Dan, hey, that's where it started, right there. That's where your mom and I said, I do. And we covenanted our lives together and committed our lives together 40 years ago. And we kind of paused in front of the building and, and uh, said, this is a great time, a great place, great memory. Now, if I told you, you know, on that day, Bev and I made a covenantal commitment. Commitment one another for life. And we went on our honeymoon. We went all the way to someplace in Florida, here in Navarra Beach, Florida. And we came back to Baton Rouge and said, you know, babe, now that we are covenanted together, now that we're joined together for life, we have some freedom. So I want you to be free to date whoever you want, and I'm going to date whoever I want now. And, and I want you to be free to go out with the girls every night of the week because I like to play basketball and softball, and I'm going to go on campus and do that every day. And uh, you know, we like to do different things. So you be free to go on your vacation. I'm free to go on my vacation. We'll meet afterwards. What would you think about me as a man, as a husband? I mean, you would think that, didn't, that wouldn't last very long, would it? I mean, it's ridiculous to think now that I've got a ring on my finger, a covenant has been sealed and she is mine forever. I can do whatever I want. But there are many people who say, aha, now that I'm safe with him, I can do whatever because he's going to forgive me. And Paul says in Galatians 5.13, he says, do not let your freedom turn into an opportunity for the flesh. You see, when you recognize what Christ has done for you, you don't want to be a slave to the things of this world. You want to be his bondservant. That is one who voluntarily places himself into slavery to the Savior who gave himself for you. Let me conclude by saying here's what Paul does tell us to do. He gives us two exhortations regarding our freedom. Exhortation number one is found at the end of verse 13. Through love, serve one another. He says, you are free to serve one another. Not only that, look at verse 14. You are free to love one another. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. In this statement, love your neighbor as yourself. So when we experience freedom in Christ, we are free to serve one another and we are free to love one another. Now, let me remind you that the first century church was struggling. In fact, if you look at Galatians 3, 28, Paul reminds them, you're neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, because you're one in Christ. Let me remind you that Paul has already rebuked Peter because Peter refused to go out and eat, or not go out and eat, but he refused to eat with the Gentiles because they were not following the ways of the law. And so Paul went to Peter and shook his finger in Peter's face and said, how dare you go back to this? You're reverting to the old way. That's what he's cautioned about in Galatians 5.1. And so there's a struggle. There's a battle. And Paul says, I want you to know whether you're male or free, you need to serve one another and love one another. 
And whether you're Jew or Gentile, even though your worlds have been so opposite and they've collided in the past, now because of Christ, you are one in Christ. That's what it says in Galatians 3.28, because you're now one in Christ, he says you are to serve and love one another. So whether you're male or female, Jew or Greek, whether you're slave or free, it doesn't matter if you're enslavey or if you're a free slave or a free man, it doesn't matter. You are to love one another and serve one another in all ways. So let me apply it to today. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. Doesn't matter. We're to love one another and serve one another. Doesn't matter if you're educated or uneducated. We're to love one another and serve one another. It doesn't matter if you're black or white or yellow or green or orange or purple. It doesn't matter. We're to love one another and serve one another. Now, we know where that doesn't apply in our day and age. You don't have to love and serve one another in the body of Christ if you're a Republican or a Democrat. I mean, really. We're to love and serve one another regardless of our differences, our backgrounds, our biases. We're come to the foot of Christ and say, Lord, because we are free, because you've set us free, we're one in you. And therefore, I'm going to get along. Not only get along, I'm going to love and I'm going to serve all within the body. Now imagine if the body of Christ began to live that out. When I look at this section, what I see is that true freedom is submitting ourselves to the one who paid the price for our freedom. True freedom comes when we submit to the one who paid the price for our freedom. I know this is an apocryphal story because I know Abraham Lincoln never bought a slave. So therefore, I know it's apocryphal. But I read the story, and so I'm going to use it because it makes the exact point I want to make. Speaker told a story about Abraham Lincoln going to visit a slave auction one day and was appalled at the sights and sounds of buying and selling slaves. He couldn't believe humanity was being bought and sold. His heart was drawn to a young woman whose story seemed to be told in her eyes. They were filled with rage and anger and contempt on everyone around her. She'd been used and abused all her life, and this was the final step of humiliation. The bidding began, began, and Abraham Lincoln offered a bid. Someone counted. He counted back. The counter went back and forth until he won the bid. He paid the auctioneer the money and took title to the young woman. When they began to walk away from the slave auction, she was following after him. She asked him what he was going to do with her. He said, I'm going to set you free. Free, she said mockingly, free for what? Just free, completely free. Free to do whatever I want to do, she asked Lincoln. Free to do whatever you want to do. Free to say whatever I want to say. Free to say whatever you want to say. Free where I want to go. Wherever you want to go, you are totally free. I am going to set you free. With tears streaming down her face, she said, then I'm going to go with you. You see, when somebody has set you free, How can you do anything other than love them and serve them and submit to them? How can you not submit yourself to the Savior who has loved you and given all for you? Are you? Father, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus who paid the price for our sins, who redeemed us, Thank you for extending grace to us.
Thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for giving us a spirit. Thank you for providing us with an eternal home. Thank you that one day you'll come back and set all things right. Thank you that you now call us to love and serve one another regardless if we're male or female, if we're Jew or Greek, if we're slave or free, regardless of our ethnicity, regardless of our socioeconomic background, regardless of how we dress, how we look, regardless of political persuasion we're of, as part of the same body calling upon the same Savior. I pray indeed that we'll love and serve one another. Lord, would you allow the body of Christ to look like Jesus, who did that while he was in the world, who did that with his disciples, who were also different, and who's done that with us. We thank you for the freedom that set us free. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. See you next week.